go see under everything is handcrafted and understated quality fine leather handcrafted goods for all of your needs he also does fixes maybe you love that jacket he'll put the zipper back in talk to under at skinonskins.com at 20th and mission check him out at skinonskins.com That song is called Acid and Fapping. What is flat black plastic? What could it be? It's exactly what you think it is. Flat black plastic. Vinyl. Records. Round. Played. Mixed. All for you every Saturday from noon to two by Scotto Walker. Amazing artist, music DJ, vinyl enthusiast. That is flat black plastic. This is Tuchel Matters with Mutiny Radio. Big up to the number one station that rule the nation. Give it to me every time. Ah! My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders, look good on camera, end all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, Regression and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. Tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Uh, 
As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today Yeah. 
from plunder and pollution and mother be free. Feminism ain't about women, but that's not who it is for. It's about shifting consciousness and bringing into war. So listen up, you fathers. Listen up, you sons. And tell me which side are you on now? Which side are
Okay, well, we'll give you, uh, we'll throw you our Barbara Streisand a little later. This is The B, and you're listening to Labor and Love Radio on Mutiny Radio here at 2781 21st Street, corner of Florida. Good morning to you all. Hope you had a good week. Some bad news to report, of course, in Bessemer, Alabama. <coughs> Despite a very strong effort by uh, unions, uh, workers there <coughs> voted against joining the union. We'll have some analysis of that. <coughs> Pardon me. We'll have some news and analysis about that. What else have we got? Mr. Block, Mr. Block. Was it Mr. Block who, uh, Mr. Block and his attitudes that lost the election, or what was it? We'll have to think about that and see. We've got our labor history in two minutes, three chapters of that. We've got our world labor analysis and news on radio labor. April, of course, is Earth Day month. And I talk a little about Greta Thunberg, a teenager from Sweden, who sort of ignited or really gave a big push to the worldwide movement to save the earth. A um, couple chapters from Labor Cards um, about the awareness, the awareness of uh, saving things. We have chapter two of the story of the UFW and the work of Cesar Chavez, Dolores Huerta, and 
those people aligned with them. So, stay tuned to the Labor and Love Radio. And our first set today was Annie DeFranco and uh, accompanied, I suppose, by a Utah Phillips fellow workers album. Which side are you on? The labor movement is reborn, revivified, re-energized. Which side are you on? You're going to have to choose. For so long, there really wasn't much of a choice because the bosses had busted with the help of the government and the help of intellectual goons had busted the labor movement. But the harder they come, the harder they fall. That was our second song by Jimmy Cliff. And in that song, Cliff echoes the the labor song of Pie in the Sky. You get pie in the sky when you die. Well, they tell me of a pie up in the sky waiting for me when I die, says Cliff. And finally, Working Class Woman by Barbara Dane from an album called, appropriately enough, I Hate the Capitalist System. I hate the capitalist system, says Barbara Dane. This is Labor and Love Radio, the show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's just a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Good morning, everybody. Hope you had a good and productive week. Hope you had a chance to do some of your own work instead of somebody else's. Let's listen right now to our worldwide, our worldwide uh, labor report, Radio Labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, April 9th, 2021. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, in the UK, zookeepers are better paid than care workers. Labor campaigns for an international law against violence at work. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labor. It's a sad reality that we pay people more to look after animals in a zoo than we pay them to look after children in a nursery. That is Christina McInerney, the General Secretary of Unison, the largest labor union in the United Kingdom. 
She was speaking in a webinar organized by the British Trades Union Congress about the effect of the pandemic on women workers and what must be done. The unequal impact of COVID-19 on women has been very stark. Women have actually borne the brunt of this pandemic. We ran a survey in unison and it just shows just how true that is. And in over just over two days, 47,000 women participated in that survey. Women desperate to tell their stories, share their experiences. And it told the story of loneliness, disconnection, isolation, and indeed the impact of what the pandemic was doing for their working life. It showed a deep-seated fear of capturing the virus and giving it to a relative or a loved one. And it also highlighted the physical toll of the pandemic, about people not sleeping well or taking regular breaks. But it also showed an increase in issues around domestic violence, and a rise, a genuine rise in discrimination against pregnant women and women with children and other caring responsibilities. Women in all jobs have ended up juggling work and caring responsibilities, expected to do more than ever with the same number of hours in the day and quite often for lower pay. But of course, the pre-pandemic picture wasn't actually that much better. With inflexible work too often that saw women disproportionately having to cut their hours, take unpaid leave to cover childcare and elder care, and of course see the impact that had on their progression. And then of course there's the whole issue of low paid. It doesn't have to be like that. Stronger employment rights, greater flexibility and a decent childcare system would help us all to better balance our lives, whatever our circumstances. And change is absolutely imperative if we want to kickstart our economy after this crisis. And there are some key changes to the laws that would make a huge difference to women in this country and women in the workplace. Right at the start of the pandemic, Unison lobbied MPs about concerns about the restrictions brought in by the Coronavirus Act. We called for guaranteed parental leave for the duration of the crisis. We called for the extension of statutory sick pay. And when you look at what happened in some sectors, that was particularly important. And a temporary increase in statutory sick pay rate, which would disproportionately benefit low-paid workers, predominantly women and black workers. And we need day one rights for all staff to be able to work flexibly and at least have 10 days parental leave to make a significant difference in the workplace. COVID yet again has shown the acute shortage of accessible and affordable childcare. And so we've also called on the government for an urgent cash injection to ensure that affordable childcare is universally available and for additional funding targeted at provision for children from low-income households. Most of all, we need to make sure women's voices are at the heart of shaping what comes out of the other side of COVID. It's a scandal that women, mainly those in the lowest pay, have had to reduce their hours at work as a direct result of school and childcare closures. And some have been forced out of work altogether and that the government proposes a 1% pay increase or thinks that's all we should be entitled to in the NHS is such an insult and when you look at the, the workforce in the NHS it's predominantly women who will be affected by this but I suppose for me one of the key things to come out of this would be what what would make the biggest difference to certainly at many of the members that we've got in unison and that would be legislation that actually does something not just about the gender pay gap, but about the fact that there is so much gender segregation in work. So when you look at the jobs that we've now seen as being essential during this pandemic, 
And when you look at the jobs that are traditionally undervalued, we're looking predominantly at caring jobs, uh, education, early years, cleaning and catering work, people who work in, in the care sector, all predominantly large groups of women. And there's a reason why they're so poorly paid, and that's because we do not value the skills that they bring to those particular jobs. And so for me, one of the key things would be, can we bring in something which is about having proper pay and conditions in sectors? Can we bring in some legislation which looks specifically at how you would job evaluate particular large categories of jobs and start to put a proper value on the worth of those jobs? Unions are calling for the adoption of an international law about violence at work. Seamary Ainsborough reports. Labour unions are intensifying their global efforts to have an international law against violence at work adopted by countries. The law is Convention 190 of the International Labour Organization. The ILO is the UN agency specialized on matters of work in the world. In a recent webinar, unionists from around the world discussed Convention 190 and the efforts to have it adopted. The webinar was moderated by Kathy Feingold, the International Director of the AFL-CIO in the United States. Let me take us back about a year and a half ago. On June 29, 2019, we celebrated a historic day. It was a day when women and workers, unions and our allies won the first ever international treaty focused on ending violence and harassment in the workplace. Now, whenever we claim a win, we know that this means there had been years of hard work um, of organizing, of many, many conversations with governments, employers, and our allies about how we would go about moving a new standard. Now, for many years, the global labor movement had been highlighting the problem of gender-based violence, but for many years, there had been a resistance to creating a new standard. Some governments like my own at the beginning in the United States said, we don't really need a new standard. We have our own laws. Other countries were worried that they already had high standards that perhaps this could affect the laws they already had in place. So it took a lot of organizing even to get the issue on the agenda at the International Labor Organization. So for years, we organized to highlight the problem, to make visible the problem of gender-based violence in our homes, communities, and workplaces. And we immediately saw the issue as one about power, the imbalance of power between relationships. And the labor movement knows this well, the imbalance of power between workers and our employers, between men and women, and the many other intersections of inequality that come with race, ethnicity, migration status, sexual orientation, and other factors. So the adoption of an international labor organization convention and recommendation was a huge victory for all of us, for workers, the trade union movement, and all of our allies who were critical in helping us push this forward. Under the new instruments, the convention and recommendation, states are able to adopt laws, policies and mechanisms aimed at preventing violence and harassment in the world of work. It protects workers and establishes actual remedies for victims. And there are responsibilities that employers have. Employers have the primary responsibility to create a work envir environment free from violence and harassment. And they also have role, and, and then they're 
uh, some defined roles for trade unions and workers as well on how to address violence in the workplace. But we know this was just the beginning, that historic day in June in 2019, when many of us were dancing in the, in the rooms of the International Labor Organization. I'm not sure they had seen so much dancing in a long time. We took this energy back home to our countries, to our communities, and now with our allies, unions must campaign for the ratification and the implementation of this convention and take this global treaty and make it a tool for change, transformation in our workplaces and in our lives. So to date, we have Namibia, Argentina, Fiji, and Uruguay who have formally ratified the convention. You'll hear from other representatives from countries that have moved this forward like Italy that are also very much on the forefront of making this a reality in our country. You can find more information about Convention 190 at ILO.org. This is Seymour Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labour. Here with his report about union events is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labour Start's volunteers collect hundreds of news items about the struggles of workers and their unions from around the world in 36 languages. Here's a small sample of all their hard work. Our top stories section included links to coverage of how and why unions in Pakistan are lining up behind warehouse workers there, the fight to maintain independent trade unions in Kyrgyzstan, and the conviction of a Hong Kong trade union leader by a Chinese court. Several continuing stories appear almost every day in our top stories section. Included in this list would be the ongoing struggles in Belarus and Myanmar against each country's dictatorship, and the pressure that transport unions around the world continue to place on platform employers as they go to the financial markets for capital. Though technically not one of our top stories, we did want to extend our congratulations to Icelandic union BSRB. The union's campaign website on shortening the work week was the winner in the category of Best News and Information website at the Icelandic Web Awards for 2021 which were presented last Friday. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news marking Equal Pay Day in Canada, an Australian union's campaign to see more women in public transport driver's seats, and growing concerns about a gender vaccination gap in much of the world. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories about the push for paid sick days for all Canadian workers, a possible national safety strike by Irish teachers, and the human cost of the lack of delivery rider regulation in Australia. Our photo of the week is of French pensioners protesting the erosion of their purchasing power as a result of the pandemic's effects on the French economy. Current campaigns that we are running at the request of unions around the world include urgent appeals for online solidarity with trade unionists in Pakistan, Israel, Europe, Kazakhstan, Jordan, Ukraine, India, and in Albania. Look for details on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is the UK singing group The Workers with Let's Work Together.
that's it. International labor news you can use. You can find our features and daily newscasts at radiolabor.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Labor. I'm Mark Belanche. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. to that.
Nobody's business 
Okay, going right along here, Labor and Love Radio. <clears throat> that set featured the English group, The Union, singing Let's Work Together, Every Boy, Girl, Woman, and Man. It's time, man. Barbara Streisand with Sitting on Your Status Quo from the musical Pins and Needles produced by the Lady Garment Workers Union. And Billie Holiday singing her defiant Ain't Nobody's Business If I Do. This is the Labor and Love Radio Show, and I'm the B. Wanted to read some of our histories, women's histories. From the labor cards. Labor cards are available through CFT. A set of 30 trading cards with drawings of famous labor leaders of the 20th century. Uh, mostly American. A lot of names you'll... that you'll um, recognize and perhaps some that you won't. Today we're featuring, uh, featuring women, was women's empowerment, Emma Tenayuka. Tenayuka was uh, an organizer in San Antonio, Texas, organized uh, among the pecan workers. At that time, pecans were shelled by hand. <clears throat> she was born in 1916 and raised in San Antonio, Texas. While still in high school, she joined parades for workers' rights and in 1938 helped organize a strike of pecan workers for a living wage. For 37 days, the workers refused to work. Finally, the companies gave in and the workers' pay was raised. When the Ku Klux Klan threatened to kill her and raided a meeting where she was speaking, she left San Antonio, Texas, eventually ending up here in San Francisco as a teacher. Later, she went back to San Antonio and worked uh, as a social worker. He said later, I was arrested a number of times, but I never thought in terms of fear. I thought in terms of justice. She's remembered now as the Pasionada of Texas, died in 1999. Emma Tenayuka. How about Helen Keller? You've probably heard of Helen Keller in connection with the play and movie, The Miracle Worker. A girl who was deaf, dumb, and blind in her youth. Keller grew up to become a socialist with the help of her teacher, Ann Sullivan. Uh, traveled around, gave lectures, wrote for the IWW paper, and she wrote this. 
the majority of mankind is ground down by industrial oppression in order that the small remnant may live at ease. Though blind and deaf, Keller learned to talk with the help of her teacher, Anne Sullivan. She went on to become a world-famous speaker and writer for peace, women's suffrage, the right to birth control, and strong unions for workers. She realized that many medical conditions are caused or made worse by poverty. Keller pointed this out over and over again. If you're broke, if you're poor, if you're not making a living wage, you're not going to go to the doctor if it costs money. You can't afford to. Therefore, you'll wait. You'll wait till your condition becomes worse. Keller helped start the American Civil Liberties Union and in 1912 joined the Industrial Workers of the World and wrote many articles for the IWW paper. Helen Keller. Mary Harris Jones. You might have heard of Mother Jones. You have to think about it. Indomitable spirit. Here's a woman who lost her entire family. Typhoid fever. Mary Jones came to the United States from Ireland in 1870. All four of her children and her husband died of typhoid fever. The rest of her life, she traveled around the country speaking on behalf of workers. She worked for the United Mine Workers and the Industrial Workers of the World, one of the people who founded the IWW. In 1903, to protest the terrible conditions of child labor, she led a parade of children to demonstrate in front of President Theodore Roosevelt's summer home. Oyster Bay. Mother Jones was active in the Blair Miners' strike in 1921. One district attorney called her the most dangerous woman in America, Mary Harris Jones. Time for a little break. Labor and Love Radio. And we'll regale you with a cut from Ken Burns, jazz.
couple of hits there by uh, Edward Kennedy Ellington, a.k.a. The Duke. First you heard, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Ba-da-ba-da-ba-ba. And then, Echoes of Harlem by Duke Ellington. This is the B, and we're at the 11 o'clock hour on a Saturday morning, which means we're a little bit more than halfway done. What have we got coming up here? Let's talk a little bit about Earth Day. Earth Day. How did it start? What's the idea of it? And how come I'm talking about it on a labor show? <laughs> well, the, the point is, of course, the earth is the stage on which we all work and live. And if there's no earth, then there's no people. In fact, the earth is going to outlive us all. People will die out before the earth. But under what circumstances? What are we doing to the earth as a civilization? What is uh, the thing we need to do to make the earth survive? Well, I have a song I want to play for you. I'm going to try to find it here. Just give me a second. community I've called home for 30 years is a rural community that's known quite this is it in New Zealand, I read a magazine, something nasty crossed my eye. The earth that fed me in California was turning cracked and dry. New Zealand ferns are always green, it rains more there than it should. I looked to the cloud that was raining on me and said, go, you can do some good. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. Met a guy from San Francisco in a railway ticket line. He said the Grateful Dead was alive and well, but the weather wasn't so fine. Nobody had a garden. Nothing lived but weeds. The earth looked like some kind of feverish person who'd caught a strange disease. He said the reservoirs are empty, cattle dying too. 
Every tongue is reaching out to sip the morning dew. And they say the fields and valleys are turning green to brown. That the farmers walk a dry and dusty mile in every farm in town. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. I stared up to the diamond stars one cashmere night. Black velvet sky and a raging river was no other sound or sight. The Big Dipper hung up above the river and I felt that it was a shame. All this water here in California dry, I said to the Dipper by name. Reached out and kissed that raging river and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. People and the animals like to gather where water flows. A beer, some tea, or a water hole. It's there where something grows. And remember the music water makes, the rainy pool and the circle dance. The thunder of the ocean and the waterfall, the laughing creek that feeds the plants. Now the fields are green again. Beauty has returned. Tragedies continue to show what we still got to learn. Can't waste away the oceans, water, air, or land. If we upset this sacred ground, we won't have any place to stand. So reach down and kiss the raging river and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. Don't want to see her spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. That was Brother Charlie Morgan with his uh, song to California, California Drought song written while he was out of the country reading disturbing news about a drought in California, which uh, is timely as right today. We're in the middle of a year, several years long drought here in California, and some places are running out of water. So, besides hoping for rain, what else can we do? And what some people have done have organized and establish Earth Day. Let's hear a little bit about Earth Day. This is from the earthday.org.
This is Walter Cronkite, who was a this planet is very well-known journalist. And we who live in it is dead. The heavens reek, the waters below are foul, children die in infancy, and we and the world, which is our home, live on the brink of nuclear annihilation. We are in a crisis of survival. This is a CBS News special, Earth Day, a question of survival, with CBS News correspondent Walter Cronkite. Good evening. A unique day in American history is ending, a day set aside for a nationwide outpouring of mankind seeking its own survival. Earth Day, a day dedicated to enlisting... citizens of a bountiful country in the common cause of saving life from the deadly byproducts of that bounty. The foul skies, the filthy waters, the littered earth. As a demonstration, its success was mixed. Beyond expectations here, far below there. No one now can know exactly how many took part. We do have an idea how many planned participation. Student groups in 2,000 colleges and 10,000 lower schools, citizen groups in 2,000 communities. By one measurement, Earth Day failed. It did not unite. It did attract that broad cross-section of America that sponsors wanted, not quite. Its demonstrators were predominantly young, predominantly white, predominantly anti-Nixon. Often its protests appeared frivolous, its protesters curiously carefree. Yet the gravity of the message of Earth Day still came through. Act or die. We begin our report with Bruce Morton in Denver. Wait for Purple Mountain's majesty. A place where, on a clear day, the legend says you could see forever. The clear days are fewer now. And instead of forever, the view often stops with pain. Next to Los Angeles, Denver has the best climate in the country for producing smog. In this unlikely-seeming place, the air is fresh. Earth Day is a focus for efforts to save it. Bicycles at the state capitol were a Denver symbol. Auto pollution is a major problem here in the country's 17th most polluted city, so high schoolers pedal to show there's another way to travel. The altitude increases car engines' pollution output. It doesn't do a thing to bikes. Somebody in the cheerful, disorganized crowd said, let's clean up, and the several hundred young people did, scouring the capitol grounds for litter. Cleanups like this went on in many parts of Denver today. Somebody got a wastebasket from the Capitol and said it must be the only one, that there were enough paper bags to go around. Then they left for the teach-in, bikers on bikes, but hundreds of others traveling on foot. Some sang, some shouted, all seemed to enjoy the day. High schools were not closed, but many announced absences would be excused. Kerrigan Plaza, the hall, was arranged to seat 6,000, though some planners predicted a half-full house. In fact, it was better than that. Lots of coming and going, but about 5,000 seats filled. Most were young, but not all. Most were white, but not all. A group who bicycled across the state gave Governor John Love a declaration supporting a cleaner planet, and the governor signed it. Okay, that was about the very first Earth Day in 1970. Billion people around the world mobilized. 190 plus countries were represented. And here's what the Earth Day 
website says, in the decades leading up to the first Earth Day, Americans were consuming vast amounts of leaded gas through massive and inefficient automobiles. Industry belched out smoke and sludge with little fear of the consequences from either the law or bad press. Air pollution was commonly accepted as a smell of prosperity. <clears throat> Until this point, mainstream America remained largely oblivious to the environmental concerns and how a polluted environment threatens human health. However, Stage was set for change with the publication of Rachel Carson's New York Times bestseller, The Silent Spring, in 1962. The book represented a watershed moment, selling more than half a million copies in 24 countries as it raised public awareness of concern for living organisms the environment and the inextricable links between pollution and public health. Carson began her book with a little fable about a city uh, which had a beautiful apple orchard outside of it. And at one point, the people in the city were being bothered by bees, honeybees. And the city fathers decided to fumigate the land around, the apple orchard, and kill all the bees so they wouldn't bother people, come down and sting people or whatever they did. And immediately, the next couple of years, the trees stopped producing apples. And the case, of course, Rachel Carson was talking about was the effect of human meddling with nature in this sense, in this the way to kill all the bees so they wouldn't sting people, but you also kill your apples. The idea that nature is an interlocking nexus between people nature and uh, so she calls this silent spring silent because the use of overuse of of uh, pesticides killed nature killed the, the cycle nature goes through now this, this whole earth day you know spawned a whole lot of reactions. And one of them in our present day, in a lot of ways, we're still going through the same threat, certainly the threat of nuclear war, certainly the over-pollution of our waterways and of the very air we breathe. And uh, one of the spokespeople for the environmental movement is a young woman from Sweden named Greta Thunberg. We're going to play a statement by Greta.
commercial. <laughs> commercial probably promoting the very thing we're talking about preventing. was a lonely event a little over a year ago. And in the intervening time, you have sparked the interest of millions, literally, of children around the globe demanding action for climate change. What's your message to world leaders today? Well, my message is that we'll be watching you. shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams, my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is the money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away? And come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil and that I refuse to believe. popular idea of cutting our emissions in half in 10 years only gives us a 50% chance of staying below 1.5 degrees and the risk of setting off irreversible chain reactions beyond human control. 50% may be acceptable to you, but those numbers do not include tipping points, most feedback loops, additional warming hidden by toxic air pollution or the aspects of equity climate justice. They also rely on my generation sucking hundreds of billions of tons of your CO2 out of the air with technologies that barely exist. So a 50% risk is simply not acceptable to us when you have to live with the consequences. To have a 67% chance of staying below a 1.5 degrees of global temperature rise the best odds given by the IPCC, the world had 420 gigatons of CO2 left to emit back on January 1st, 2018. Today, that figure is already down to less than 350 gigatons. How dare you pretend that this can be solved with just business as usual and some technical solutions? With today's emissions levels, 
that remaining CO2 budget will be entirely gone within less than eight and a half years. There will not be any solutions or plans presented in line with these figures here today, because these numbers are too uncomfortable and you are still not mature enough to tell it like it is. You are failing us, but the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. And if you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, right now, is where we draw the line. The world is waking up. And change is coming, whether you like it or not. Thank you. Well, that was Greta Thunberg, a teenaged uh, climate activist, giving her read on the crisis that's enveloping all of us. It uh, seems like Mr. Biden is a little bit aware of it and his administration may finally start doing something proactive to save the very earth we live on. Actually, no, not to save the earth. Earth is going to survive. To save the people who live on the earth. <coughs> um... What does that have to do with a labor show? Well, of course, as corporations become stronger and stronger and have a greater and greater influence, as long as they're unchecked by any kind of worker movements, they're going to go ahead and do whatever they want with the earth. They'll pollute the earth. They'll pay their fines. They'll do that. And as the young woman says, they're going to kill the future for her generation. So worker solidarity isn't just about, you know, getting together the workers at your workplace, just getting together, you know, some people to form a union and start negotiating with your employer. It's about saving the earth. It's about saving humanity. What other force is going to do that? Nobody. It's up to the labor movement. It's up to us as working people to do this. That's what Greta's talking about. And that's the connection between the environmental movement and the labor movement. Great majority of all of us are working people. <laughs> we go to work every day to survive. It's not always by choice, but we do it. And that's the class we're in. Okay, end of editorial comments. I want to talk now about a problem that, I mean, every time we sort of turn our back on it, it jumps up again, especially here in the United States. And, of course, what I'm talking about are mass killings. Mass killings with... Assault weapons, 
by and large, people who all of a sudden go crazy and because they have guns they can enforce their craziness on other people. I don't have to go over it. I mean, as uh, Lily Tomlin once said, I can't even remember who was assassinated in order anymore. And uh, I can't even remember. There were three such incidents just this last week or so of people going crazy. Hello, Yemen. How are you? Welcome to the show. We're doing very well, thank you. And um, let me just let our audience know what's going on here. Uh, Vita, can you test? Hello. Tap it. Hello. There you, there you go. Just setting Vita up with her, uh, with her microphone. Um, so I was just introducing the topic that I wanted to ask you guys about, uh, letting the audience know this is our campus correspondent feature that's part of every show, where we talk to college students about their approach and their ideas uh, about uh, an issue that is affecting American civilization, culture, etc., and their read on it. So my guests today are Yaman Kabaz and Vita Castaneda Morgan, students at UC Davis. So um, let's start with you, Vita. Um, just in the last couple weeks now, there's been uh, a rash of these kinds of incidents where someone goes crazy and shoots everybody around them. A former NFL football player went and murdered his doctor and all the people he found at his doctor's house. Wow. So, uh, yeah. What's well, your read on all this? What's the problem? Is this a, an American problem or? A, yeah, I think that it is like a, in a way, an American point of view problem, and it's also a mental health issue. It's also a culture issue, you know, because a lot, and also. Uh, male issue because the majority of the time it's men doing it and you know maybe there needs to be a bigger dialogue about men and how they're dealing with their issues or feelings or problems and uh getting help and health and i understand that that uh, ex-football player like had concussions and stuff so yeah i think that there's just like this big culture a lot of the time of you know senseless violence like even football to an extent can be really violent and ruin someone's body but it's like oh we're doing it and we're going to do it because we're men instead of doing something like basketball or whatever that may not ruin your body as much because it's not direct impact so i think it's just like a larger problem of just violence and aggression in america and like of course it started in the beginning with the native americans and um africans that were kidnapped from africa and brought here like all that was under violence and duress and you know it's you know like the oppressor has always had a gun pointed at other people's heads so now in present day people are you know feeling oppressed so they're pointing the guns at other people and this is the way almost america deals with problems not like 
oh, we're going to talk it out. It's like we're going to have a war, you know. Okay. That's my opinion. I think it's a big issue. Okay, uh, Yemen, um, what I wanted to ask you is the ways that uh, there's a difference, um, the way such incidents are treated, like the guy in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, when the police came to get him, they took him to uh, Burger King <laughs> oh. <laughs> to, get a, to get a meal. And the, uh, there was one investigation just recently where the cop said the guy just had a bad day. <laughs> now, in both instances, these were white people. Okay. Yeah. What if someone from uh, another ethnicity commits something? What ha <laughs> There's a whole different way it's treated. Anyway, go ahead with your read on this situation. Well, I mean, if you're the right, if you're the right type of guy, shooting the right type of people, I'm sure they'll take you to Burger King. Um, Very well how, said. Uh, <laughs> the, our police force has roots from the KKK. Um, originating from the KKK. I think Vita touched on a really important point. You never uh, go on TV. And, I mean, not never, I don't want to say that, but, you know, it's rarely ever you come across a woman shooting up a plate. You know, it's always a dude. Right. Um, and, and I think that we should stop uh, portraying it as if it's just, it's just uh, people doing it. You know, we need to be more specific about that. Um, I, I think that, you know, Based off of those two points that I just mentioned, you know, the police having originated from the KKK, like roots from the KKK, and and it being mostly men, I think you know we know where the problem lies, and maybe it has something to do with our patriarchal society. I don't know if this problem is happening in other places in the world, especially happening here. Well, it's happening in Mexico because of the massive uh, shipments of arms that go That's to right. the Anywhere Mexican we're, drug dealers. We're shipping the weapons. Yeah. Anywhere the weapons are being shipped, it's happening. I do want to touch on the matter because I believe Tom Hartman has really um, sort of shaped the narrative um, on how we can handle the situation. Him being a gun owner and gun collector and, and range shooter himself, and uh, being opposed uh, to to um, you know the whole gun situation, the NRA, and all that stuff. Um, he brings up a point that you know we need to treat these things as if they're vehicles. To treat them, you know, you get insurance for your vehicle. You know, uh, I know someone's right vehicle that told me that a police officer once told them that a vehicle car is a weapon, so you need to be, uh, you know, you need to turn your lights on, right? Um, so if a car is the, if, if, if a car needs to be insured, Tom Hartman um, argues that, you know, treat them as automobiles, right? Number one, establish titles of ownership of something like the like VIN numbers for all guns. Uh, require written treating exams for all prospective gun owners and require liability insurance for all gun owners. Um, and, yeah, so that's like, I mean, that sounds great, right? You know, it's, yeah. it's perfect. Another and thing Hartman... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say another thing, another thing Hartman pointed out was that after these massacres happen, we don't see pictures of them. They don't show... They don't show the carnage and the horror that these high-powered weapons cause. That's true. That's true. You don't. And maybe if, if we did, if we knew the reality of what was going on, instead of just seeing a headline, the, 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 the shooter is just being carried away to Burger I mean, yeah. So, like, it definitely, you know. And, and based off of that, I think that, like, the other point he brings up, which is, you know, transferring 
all semi-automatic weapons legally uh, into the same category as fully automatic weapons. Um, I just don't wonder why not doing these things, to be honest with you. I I don't understand the system inside and out. I do know that uh, um, pointing a gun and, sh- and, and, and killing someone is a very, very cowardly way um, to get what you want. Um, and I just, the whole idea of guns in general comes from, I, I mean, I think it's just, you know, it's all about slavery, right? It's all about putting the people in check. And it, as a core principle, it's just a cowardly, cowardly thing. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, you know, it's just, what? So, so a, a, a baby can kill you. Like, a, if you, a baby, you can, a baby can kill a man that's like completely, or a woman that's completely profound and everything they've built their lives up to, you know. And another thing I'd like to mention, I think uh, the victims of, of guns are mostly, I'm not, not going to say mostly children, but they're children, accidental shootings and suicides, you know, that's where a lot of it is going. So I think we're just more concerned with our egos and, and our American collective ego and, and, and being uh, proud gun owners and it being sort of uh, masculine or, 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 you know, I don't know, not, maybe that's not the right word, but something just very powerful and very heroic. No, it's, yeah. it's very cowardly. Let's just like be you, real, you know. And also, like, you don't have to negotiate. No, you don't have to do, form an argument. So, Vita, um, before we before we end here, I'd like to ask you: In what sense, like Yaman brought up the possibility, in what sense is this a purely American problem? Hmm. I mean, it happens in other countries too, to an extent, when they're oppressed. But I guess it's an American problem because of the lax gun laws. And because of the mental health issues, too. You know, a lot of the times the people who are shooters are people who have, like, have, like, extreme social anxiety or, like, issues, like, extreme issues that have been unchecked and they needed help and they never got it. And in the 80s, Reagan, like, closed down all the mental health hospitals and, like, public health facilities. So, I mean, I think I think it is an American issue and it is that. It's two, the nexus of two problems meeting and you know then we have economic issues and everything else so things are gonna get worse one my cousin um her dad he got his truck stolen right out of his job like crazy and like a lot of people are stealing stuff lately in the bay area too so just got to be careful i guess too okay um i want to thank you both thank you yemen and thank you vita for uh coming on the show you're welcome and next week, uh, I'll invite you again to address another issue. Great. And uh, hopefully in the meantime, you guys will have a really good week. We will. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye, Vita. Have a great time. Bye. Take care, everybody. Bye, Yemen. Thanks Thank for you for calling us. in. Ciao. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. No All right. That was our... Uh, campus correspondence feature and it's running right up right up on the uh, 12 o'clock hour I wanted to get into some of the fallout around the unsuccessful union election at uh, Bessemer Alabama but as usual we have more more material than we have time for so next week we'll get into that in depth 
we'll run down what happened there and why it was unsuccessful and maybe some lessons that unions can take away from the situation because the labor movement is awake and and coming it's coming at you i mean all over the country people from other amazon uh, centers are asking and preparing to organize and that's we've got a president who if not really pro-union is definitely not anti-union as mr trump was and so many of his predecessors so we'll see this is the b and i want to play our labor history segments and then it'll be time for us to get out of here John L. Lewis takes on Henry Ford. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1937. That was the day sparring between Henry Ford and John L. Lewis spilled over into the press. The CIO formally declared their organizing drive of some 150,000 workers at the Ford Motor Company. John L. Lewis addressed a crowd of 25,000 the night before at the Detroit State Fairgrounds Coliseum, celebrating the recent organizing victory at Chrysler. Lewis thundered, Henry Ford will change his mind. He added that the victories at Chrysler and General Motors came as a result of workers' dissatisfaction with their conditions. Lewis also noted that Ford Motor Company prevented workers from joining unions through a system of intimidation and coercion. Ford insisted he would never recognize the UAW or any other union in response to sit-downs at Ford plants in Kansas City and St. Louis. Notoriously anti-Semitic, he then alleged that international banking interests financed CIO organizing drives. Ford maintained workers had no reason to celebrate organizing victories, claiming workers had lost through joining unions. He said they've had their freedom taken away. They pay money to the unions and get nothing in return. But Ford was also one of the few industrial employers that hired blacks. Organizing at Ford meant organizing black workers. It meant bringing black workers on as organizers and staffers in the UAW. The UAW waged a pointed campaign to attract black workers at Ford and concentrated efforts at the massive River Rouge complex. UAW leaders Homer Martin and Wyndham Mortimer urged black workers to join up with them, saying, quote, We must solve together, not pitted against one another, all discrimination. It would take more than four years to finally organize at Ford, but black workers were at the forefront of that struggle. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1865. That was the day Robert E. Lee surrendered to Ulysses S. Grant at Appomattox, Virginia. Grant's Union Army successfully cut off Confederate forces at the village of Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia. Historians agree the terms were generous to the Confederacy. The surrender marked the beginning of the end of the Civil War with three more key surrenders before the end of May. Half the country was in ruins, with as many as 750,000 dead. In the North alone, millions more lay seriously injured. At least 40,000 formerly enslaved blacks died fighting for their freedom. It was considered the country's turning point. 
The Civil War ended the slave system, forged a centralized federal government, and created a national structure for the institutional development of public health, veteran care, and aid programs. The era of Reconstruction ushered in a period of hope and opportunity for black freedom, equality, and prosperity. But historian Gregory Downs argues in his book After Appomattox, Military Occupation and the Ends of the War, that the war did not really end in 1865. The South was essentially under military occupation until at least 1871. Downs writes, quote, By severing the war's conflict from the Reconstruction that followed, it drained meaning from the Civil War and turned it into a family feud, a fight that ended with regional reconciliation. Once white Southern Democrats overthrew Reconstruction, they utilized the Appomattox myth to erase the connection between the popular, neatly concluded Civil War and the continuing battles of Reconstruction. For Eric Foner, the period was one of revolution and counter-revolution, a massive experiment in interracial democracy without precedent. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1917. That was the day as many as 139 workers, mostly women, were killed in an explosion at the Eddystone Artillery Shell Plant just outside of Philadelphia. The plant, owned by Baldwin Locomotive Works, opened in 1916 and produced munitions for the Russian Army. Baldwin also manufactured Enfield rifles and armored tanks for American forces. The United States had just entered World War I days before. Munitions production soared, along with the number of new hires. About 400 women worked at the F Building at Eddystone, which was blown to bits. F Building was where the powder fuses were manufactured, loaded into artillery shells, and then inspected. On this fateful morning, about 18 tons of black powder ignited, setting off thousands of shrapnel shells. This caused a series of detonations felt as far as 10 miles away. The blast blew some workers through the roof. Others were found nearby in the Delaware River. Of the dead, 55 were never identified. Hundreds more survived and were badly burned or seriously injured. Immediately, German and then Russian immigrants were scapegoated as responsible for the blast. The press shrieked in hysteria over alleged sabotage by German agents opposed to U.S. entry into the war. Others charged that Russian revolutionaries at odds with the Russian White Army were at fault. However, a guard testified that in fact there had been problems with electrically powered powder loading devices that had been malfunctioning for some time. He claimed the wires must have short-circuited and caused the spark. One woman worker insisted as she lied dying that a shell hit the powder and sparked the explosion. The cause of the explosion remains a mystery to this day. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at laborhistoryin2. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1917. That was the day as many as 130...
Never been more pressing, and Buxian Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be like in front of an audience, like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I 
am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on mutinyradio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... Uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch San Francisco, what are you doing this week? Come join Mutiny Radio Presents for four different comedy shows supporting local businesses in the Mission District and beyond. On Sunday, join us in the Tenderloin at Resolute Wine Bar, 678 Geary, for Barrel of Laughs at Resolute, an amazing comedy show with the best wines curated by Resolute. On Wednesdays, join us at Asiento at and 21st and Bryant for dinner and a show at Asiento. Delicious tapas, incredible drinks, hilarious comedy Wednesday nights at 7.30. On Fridays at 7 o'clock, join us outside mutinyradio.fm here at 21st and Florida, 7 o'clock for outdoor comedy, socially distanced in the street. And Saturdays, join us at Atlas Cafe SF. 20th in Alabama for Titans of Comedy every Saturday at 2 o'clock. Hey, keep supporting local businesses and comedy here in San Francisco with your friends at Mutiny Radio. St. Valentine's Day Mascara, streaming live on Facebook, Sunday, February 14th, 11 a.m. An international affair hosted by Ms. Noir. Do you St. Valentine's Day Mascara. St. Valentine's Day Mascara. St. Valentine's Day Mascara. 14th of February 2021. 11 a.m. PST Facebook Live. A date for everyone. Hosted by Ms. Noir. The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country, as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. 
If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines, vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Pahoehoe on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor. Are you looking for local handcrafted leather goods? Look no further than Skin on Skins, a local mission a leather working shop. All original pieces handcrafted for you. Jackets, belts, purses, jewelry, everything made out of leather. You need your bicycle seat fixed? You want it in cool leather? Under can do it. You have a motorcycle that you want to fit out with side bags and cool stuff talk to under go to skinonskins.com that's s-k-i-n-o-n-s-k-i-n-s.com you just went to Folsom Street Fair and you don't have enough leather go see under everything is handcrafted and understated quality fine leather handcrafted goods for all of your needs he also does fixes maybe you love that jacket he'll put the zipper back in Talk to Under at SkinOnSkins.com at 20th and Mission. Check them out at SkinOnSkins.com. L-S-D, fap, acid and fapping, fapping and acid, acid, fapping, fapping and acid, fap, 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 acid. Thank you. That song is called Acid and Fapping. Next, you want it in cool leather? Under can do it. You have a motorcycle that you want to fit out with side bags and cool stuff talk to under go to skinonskins.com that's s-k-i-n-o-n-s-k-i-n-s.com you just went to Folsom Street Fair and you don't have enough leather go see under everything is handcrafted and understated quality fine leather handcrafted goods for all of your needs he also does fixes maybe you love that jacket he'll put the zipper back in Talk to Under at SkinOnSkins.com at 20th and Mission. Check them out at SkinOnSkins.com. L-S-D-F-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-A-P-